ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my women. As you know, we are rebranding from the Purpose Girl podcast into the Institute of Woman, where we are all about reclaiming woman. And I have such a guest for you today to do so. So I have outed myself here on the podcast a million times that my deepest desire, more than anything else in the whole world that I want, is to write a book. And I have been through the process where I got myself an agent and they pitched my book and after 14 publishers were interested one by one they all rejected me and I had to like literally pick myself up off the floor I can feel my heart my heart is like ugh. my stomach just feels like I'm gonna throw up just sharing that Karen can I because I have all sorts of stories can I put one thing in right there can I just okay something? sure and L- I haven't even introduced you I know, yet. but I still want to throw this into the mix. Go Anne Lamott, okay, I think it was Anne Lamott, but it was a writer about that ilk, used, used to talk about how many rejections she got. And one, mm. one of those people told me that she put her rejections in her freezer. And so she just sort of kept a little stack of rejections getting <laughs> higher and higher and higher in the freezer, which is to say rejections along the way, ah, no problem. No problem. I love that. Thank you for saying that. You all can see why she's my guest today. Okay, because what we're going to talk about, she's like the best writing coach on the planet. And our episode today, if you have ever wanted to write a book, and if you haven't wanted to write a book, but there's something that you have been wanting to do. Maybe it's starting your Etsy store. Maybe it is launching that dog walking business. Maybe it's quitting your job and traveling for a year or not quitting your job and figuring out how you can travel for a year. What we're going to talk about today, the steps are so similar because the fears are similar because the process is similar. And so we're going to talk about it from a book writing perspective, but I want you to insert your dream here as she and I talk about this, because if anyone can get you there, it is my guest. Let me introduce you again, to Catherine Britton. Catherine's clients call her the midwife of words. And before I even get into how many people she has helped, I have to tell you that Catherine was one of the first graduates of my master's program, the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. And so when I was new to the program, to the field, there was a woman who possessed so much wisdom and has so much presence and has the biggest heart of anyone I'd ever seen. It's like I was intimidated by her and couldn't be intimidated by her because she's so kind at the same time. And every single person who I know in the field is like, well, I worked with Catherine on that. Oh, well, I published that book with Catherine. Oh, well, I'm in Catherine's writing program. Okay. And it was like legend. And you're going to hear she's the kindest, kindest soul that you've ever met. And so when I tell you she has helped hundreds of people complete writing projects, I'm guessing it's actually thousands and the ripple effect beyond. Thousands of writing projects, big and small. Her own publications include books and articles about computer science, coaching, applied positive psychology. She's been an English major, a software engineer, an inventor, an editor, an executive coach, and she was one of the first practitioners of positive psychology. Now she writes, edits, and coaches writers. More than 3,000 pieces of writing have been reviewed in her writer's workshops. And her new book, Sit, Write, Share, emerged from her experiences helping authors find their authentic writing voices, build their confidence, and produce writing that changes the world. Catherine, welcome to the Purpose Girl podcast, W podcast. I don't even know what we're calling it yet, but welcome. 
I'm so honored to have you. Well, I'm so glad to be here. And I'm almost a little intimidated by, by my description, by the description of me <laughs> that you put out. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, you're the kindest soul, the kindest heart. And my perception as like a newbie to our field and to our program was that you helped everybody. I'm like, where does this woman have time? She must have 27 hands, right? Because so many people have been impacted by your work. And then every, like I said, any of you who are intimidated are like, oh, no, I'm telling you, she is the kindest soul you've ever met. So this is, it's like everyone I know, Catherine, wants to write a book. Everyone I know has something in them Mm -hmm. that they want to get out. And yet I can speak from my own experience. It's really scary. It is scary. It is scary. And when you think about it, you're taking your words and you're putting them together and then you're putting them out for the world to see. And what happens is you get started out, people tend to get started out, and they think of the, the end product, and they think of themselves out there. And then there's all these steps that you have to take along the way. And because that end product is a little intimidating to think about, the, the fear tends to seep backwards into mm. the and so, and so a lot of times people want it, but they just don't get started. So I what I have found is I will tell you one of the first, one of the biggest lessons that I think everybody should learn really, really quickly about writing is that it's not just one step. It's not you sit and write, you send it off and it's gone. It's you've got to imagine what you're going to say. You've got to mentally play with the things that you're going to get across. You've got to sit down and you've got to write a first draft and not care whether it's total crap or not, because it's not, you know, all, you know, Anne Lamott, who is, you know, one of my personal goddesses, Anne Lamott makes, makes the point that you write a shitty first draft so you can write a pretty good second draft and a terrific third draft, or it might be a terrific fourth draft or fifth draft or whatever, but the shitty first draft, you have to capture it so you have something to work with. So Hmm. that lesson of you've got to be able to, turn off that little editor in your mind that says, ooh, that's crap. You've got to turn it off, let the words come out, and then you gently invite the editor back in and said, you can look at the big picture now, but I don't want you to look at the details. And then when the, ed- mm. the ed- editor has finished that, you can say, okay, you can start looking at you know another level down. So I have in my book um, a set of seven different steps for editing. And it isn't, and actually, I really think that writing is imagine what you're going to say. It's sit down and grab it, write a draft. Uh, and, you know, there are various different ways to un- get yourself unstuck when you are stuck, but you write a draft and then you play with it, you polish it, you take the edges off, you sand it, you, you, whatever you do when you're woodworking, when you get that last step, when you make it really, really smooth. Writing is a lot like that. But that's not the way people mm. picture it. So they get really intimidated by the, the fact that they see somebody else's book and they say, I need to write something that's as good as that. But that person didn't write the book in one draft either. Mm. I feel like you're inside my house because I have written, I have rewritten first chapters. I can't tell you how many times, right? Because my little editor in my mind is like, nope, not that sentence. No, 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 no. You know, and so before I will move on to a chapter two, I've probably had, you know, let's say three or four book ideas. Before I move on to chapter two, I'm trying to get chapter one, like, perfect. And so I feel like you're inside. Like, are you sitting here right now? Are you sitting at my desk when I try? And so I love this because it's like, just get it all out. Can I give you one comment about that the idea of making chapter one perfect before you go on to chapter two? What happens mm-hmm. if you write chapter one and, you know, you got chapter two, you got an idea in your head and you've got an idea for chapter three. But what happens if you were to actually go through this, make chapter one absolutely perfect? And by the time you get to chapter 10, you discover that, you know, the book I thought I was going to write at the beginning is not exactly what I actually ended up writing. So now my chapter Mm. one isn't quite right anymore. And so now you've got this absolutely perfect chapter one that doesn't (laughs) fit in your book. And so, which is to say, you know, and I've seen this happen, by the way. I've seen people 
really, really think they knew exactly what their book was going to be. But by the time they get to the end, the idea, the, the shape that it took, there, there's a, a certain freedom in the, in the creativity. The shape it took at the end was different than the shape they anticipated at the beginning. So all mm. of that really, really detailed polishing work they did on Chapter 1 is kind of like not really useful. Yeah, waste of time. We'll just call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just call it what it is. It was a waste of time. I think, though, that that is my fear brain, right? It's like that part of me not wanting me to to just keep going and therefore wanting me to stick with chapter one. And so I'm guessing that that's, that's my fear brain. I mean, so when we look at this, and again, I want all of you, you can see why she's my expert in this. And really, y'all know that I like to have guests on here so that I just, I get the coaching myself, right? So I'm genius. I want to write a book. So Catherine's on my podcast. Perfect. Okay. So maybe we should even back up, Catherine. How did you even get into writing? Well, when I was an English major in college, I hated writing. Um, mm. uh, the only thing I liked less than writing was studying for exams. Um, <laughs> or maybe cleaning the toilet, you know, in the, you know various mm. things of that sort. So in other words, I, yeah. really, I really had trouble making myself write. But it was very low on your list. It was very low on my list. But somehow over the course, I became a software engineer and I became a software engineer like a lot of people because I thought, well, I won't have to write in this profession. But what I found mm. was, no, no, actually, I was writing memos. I was writing manuals. I was writing design documents. I was writing invention disclosures. Mm. I was writing persuasive documents. I was writing all kinds of things. So over time, it just started getting easier and easier. And at, at some point... At some point, I, fl I flipped over, like I went over a little, a little ridge, and I went from I hated writing to I actually find writing is fun. And I think mm. what happened there was that I started seeing what a, what, a, what a really creative process it can be, and not creative in the sense of, oh, you've got to sit down and you've got this little monster on your shoulder saying, you aren't creative, you're not going to be able to do anything like that, like that. but instead to be able to just get ideas out and start playing with them and start having this sense of, oh, I could try it like this. Oh, that doesn't quite work, but, well, I could move it around and I could try it like this or, not, or I could say it like this. The other thing that I found is that I started writing. I don't think I'm really answering your question, but I, but I trust that's okay. You are. Um, I, I started finding that I was writing as I took walks or did the dishes or, um, mm. you know, did some kind of chore that wasn't a fully mind-engaging chore, I found that I would play with ideas in my head. And I think that that's a stage that a lot of people forget that you can do, that you don't have to sit down with a complete blank piece of paper and just start writing, that you can actually start saying to yourself, oh, well, what is it I want to get across? And, hmm, what if I said it, said it like this? And, and hmm. then just sort of play and move things around. I became, I started to love it because I started loving the playfulness of it. I started loving the mm. fact that, that you could, you know, you could put words down and then you could, it was like working in clay. It was like, yeah. you know, you had a, this sort of mass that you start out with and then you press it a little here and press it a little there and mash it a little there and rub it a little there and whatever. And it starts taking a shape that really starts becoming pleasing. And I guess anybody mm. who's made anything you know, knows that feeling of, wow, I made this. I, I made that. Yeah. And I have this image of you before you said the clay. I was seeing you like do something with your hands with it. Like, oh, isn't that fun? And what if this word went here? And what if this idea went there? You know, I write a lot of posts, right? Because I do a lot on social media. And so my brain is kind of always thinking in terms of posts. And I think for me then, it's the, that's a short piece of writing, but when we look like, you know, now to write a whole book, we're talking about a much bigger project and how, how we kind of get over and how I can get over anyone out there, that shift from the short writing into, whoa, this is like a big, will I have enough to say? Or how do I even organize this? Do I do an outline first? Like, how do we even parse this down? Well, there's writing, when I was in computer science, we used to talk about a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach. A top-down approach is when you get everything planned out, 
you get it all organized at the big level, and then you start working your way down. Bottom-up approach is you start building the little pieces, and then you start putting them together, and you start seeing how they work. You can write either way. And one of the mm. things that I found can be really helpful is if you get stuck when you're working on a top-down approach, you've been outlining, you've been sort of breaking it down, and you're just sort of like, ah, I'm, I've hit a brick wall. Just go down to the bottom, pick one topic, start to write it out, and see what emerges. Mm. And what you might find is that as you're working out on a particular piece, you know, the bottom-up kind of writing, as you're working on that particular piece, that that gives you some ideas for how your top structure maybe should be created. So the two of them can be related to each other. They can work together. The point mm. is that when you get stuck doing one thing, try something else. So mm. if you find yourself and you've got a blank piece of paper in front of you and you just, you know, you've, got, you've given yourself, you've saved these three hours to write or, by the way, a lot of writing gets done in 30-minute chunks. I'll just put that out there quickly. Instead of trying mm. to sit down and do uh, three hours of writing, to do 30-minute chunks more often is that can actually be very, very, um, can be a very successful way of getting the job done. Mm. And again, I love that even if, if you don't want to write but you want to start a business, 30 minutes a day. Yep. Because you're right, finding three hours to do anything, right, when you have another job or you have a family, you have like all these responsibilities, it's... I love that. Well, and there's actually research at Stanford. They, they, they had a, one group of people that they suggested every day you write for 30 minutes, you know, on whatever you're doing. And other people, they just sort of left them alone. And they found that this group, the group that wrote for 30 minutes a day regularly, tended to get three, three plus times as much work done as the people who were working sort of in longer but, but more spread out sessions. I think part of what happens is when, it, when you sit, if you have like a three-hour slot to write, okay, you tend to sit down and spend maybe half hour or 45 minutes thinking, what am I going to write today? And sort of fiddling <laughs> around and not really knowing what you're going to do. Are you again in my house, Catherine? <laughs> Wednesday is my writing morning, and that is what it can look like sometimes. Well, what happens when you do it in 30-minute slots is you do you don't finish, you know, you're writing for 30 minutes, you get to the end of something and you know where you are. And if you do it, mm. you get up the next day, well, you know where you were the next day. And so you just start where you were and move forward. And that, that tends to reduce that amount of um, time that you spend trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do today? I gotta, right. I've got a comment about that, too, about you and your, and your Wednesday mornings. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. Every Wednesday... When you, if you have, if you continue to do this Wednesday morning writing, okay, mm -hmm. for the last ten minutes of your session, make sure you plan what you're going to write the next time you get together to write. Mm. So instead of writing, instead of, you know, every time that you sit down, and when you think about it, it's a little bit like you sit down and you're cold. You know, like when you go out to exercise and you just go out and start running without warming up or stretching mm -hmm. or anything like that, you tend to get an injury. Um, so this is a little bit like saying you've been writing, you're all warmed up, you've got all kinds of ideas in your mind. Write down, if I feel like writing a story tomorrow, this is the story I'm going to write. If I feel like explaining mm -hmm. something tomorrow, this is what I'm going to explain tomorrow or whatever the next writing session is. Right. And right. so you have it written down. So then when you you come in the next time, it's almost like you warmed yourself up at the end of your mm. last session so you could really hit the ground running today. Mm. That makes so much sense. Again, just applicable for everything. You finish your day, what are you going to work on tomorrow? I mean, so it makes so much, so much, so much sense. When you're working with writers, and I know you've worked with a, a bunch, what are the biggest hurdles that you hear and see? Well, I think... A lot of people have gremlins in their head. Um, mm. And when I say gremlins in their head, they, these are things like your 10th grade teacher, Mrs. McGregor, who said, You'll, you can't write for beans. You'll never be able to write. <laughs> or you're, And so you've internalized her voice, and so you even mm -hmm. almost hear her voice speaking in your head. But, but it's this sense of, or, of, you know, you can't write, or... Who cares what I say? That's another gremlin mm. that a lot of people have. Who cares mm -hmm. what I have to say about this? And so right. um, 
I actually have in, in my book, Sit Right Share, I have a couple of different uh, experiments that are associated with these two gremlins, but they're how to, how to work your way around them and how to realize that they will never completely leave you. But you can sort of say, okay, Mrs. McGregor, thanks for your opinion, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to show that you're wrong or whatever. In mm-hmm. other words, you can deal with your gremlins. You don't have to get rid of them. You just can sort of know how to speak to them and know how to not let them be the loudest voice in your head. Right, right. I once heard Liz Gilbert say she figured out that the her fear was going to always be along for the ride, but mm-hmm. fear doesn't get to drive the bus, right? So in this way, I love what you're saying to the gremlin. And this is what I found so helpful about your book. It is all of these short experiments, right? It's not like you have to sit there and, and you know, someone who, who gets your book, and you should all get this book, by the way, if you want to write anything, if this has ever been a dream of yours. And like I said, a lot of these experiments, like the gremlin in your head could be there about whatever your dreams or your ideas are. But you've done this in such a way, Catherine, that they're short experiments that someone can pick up. And you say this up front, right? Like in the introduction, you don't have to go in order. You you open up to whichever experiment fits for you. And you give a very short example of do this, right? Here's what to think about. Here's what to sit down. Here's how to do it. Here's And it's like it's it's very manageable. These very short experiments or exercises to see what is going to help you, the reader, in particularly move through an issue or move toward the goal. Well, that was my that was what I wanted to achieve. I mean, and let me just start out by saying I don't believe that we're all alike. So I don't. If mm. anybody says here's the recipe for writing, so if anybody <laughs> were to come to you, you know, Karen, and say, here's how you write a book do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, I'd be a little distrustful because I think there are probably almost as many recipes for writing as there are writers. Mm. But there are common ingredients. And so what, I've, what I wanted to do in my book was to try and help people see the common ingredients that would help them get the work done. Um, and so they can pick and choose. And what my, 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 my belief is that some of these things people don't need they already have them mastered okay so okay fine you know if they've got a mastered terrific or maybe they are irrelevant to what they're doing but what what the way I constructed it I wanted it to be set up so that people could kind of flip through and you know and sort of say oh this is what I need to pay attention to right now or this Mm -hmm. is what I'm dealing Mm -hmm. with right now so some of the some of the experiments are sort of big picture and some of them are really detailed like what do you do if you're writing and you feel like you really captured the idea and then your computer crashes and you hadn't saved? You know, and I, I wrote that one because it happened to, me, to a client of mine in the last six months. And she was, mm. you know, she was just in a total panic. And I said, well, you don't have to be in a total panic because it's all still in your head. So just open mm. a new file, sit down, write as much of it as you can remember, and I think there's a story from John Cleese who did this and then later found his original and he compared it to the two and said, actually, my second one's better than my first one was. So probably because it's the second draft in a way. Yes. Right. In the way yeah. like you already mm-hmm. got you already got out kind of the crappy first draft, which I love the, that name, the crappy first draft. <laughs> and then. Right. And maybe this time you were just kind of letting it flow Could be. because you were you wanted to be sure I got everything. And, and then there's this and then there's this. That kind of thing has happened to me, not with a book, but it, I mean, I, I think I would absolutely fall apart and cry if that happened. Well, you no doubt you would not want it to happen to the whole book. OK, but I'm no. sure that you would like save backups of your files and and things like that, you know, which is something that we all say we should do. And then until our computer got, dies, whatever. And we think, oh, my gosh, I forgot to back up all of this stuff. You know, it's it's a good good lesson to learn over and over again. But. If you lose something relatively small, chances are you can recreate it from what's already in your mind. Mm, the mind is so powerful that way mm. that it can remember. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, you've broken the process down into three basic steps. Sit, write, share. Talk to us about these three steps. Well, I, I'd like to start by saying that the name Sit, Write, Share 
came out of a particular client I was working with. And we, I was getting a little frustrated with him because it just seemed like he couldn't seem to, to get the job done. And so one day I just said to him, sit, write, share. And he said, you should write a book about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am. You're like, I will once you write your book about what you're writing your book about. Yes, get it done. Yes. So sit, sit, you can think of as being, it's a little bit like meditation. So people use sit as a metaphor for, medi- for meditating. Sitting for writing is similar. You need to get your, I don't know, I, I say get your butt in the chair, but the fact is that I usually write at a standing desk, so I don't actually put <laughs> my butt in the chair. But anyway, you need to get yourself prepared and ready and clear out the things that are, the, the other things that are in your mind. You need to get yourself sort of quieted down and focused so that you are actually, before you do write a single word, so that you're actually mm. ready to write. And I have about 13 experiments that have to do with rituals for ending the last thing you were doing so that you actually have space in your head to write, um, dealing with the gremlins that tend to distract you, looking for and finding inspiration, and not viewing inspiration as something that only certain special people get or only certain special people get it when they're struck by lightning or whatever, but instead looking at it as something that you can actually cultivate and you can bring more inspiration into your life. So there's a whole series of sit experiments that are all about getting your mind ready to write. Hmm. And before you move on to those, these are so brilliant because so many of them use what we know in positive psychology, right? Like experiment three, recall writing successes, right? Because if in your head you're constantly saying, well, I'm not a good writer and, you know, everything I say, it never sounds right. Then you sit down to write your book or to write your email or to write whatever it is that you want to write. You're not going to because you, your brain believes I'm not good at writing. But sitting and saying, wait, when have I written and it's been successful? When was it well received? When did I write something I liked? You can just, it's like I can even just feel a shift in my own body of what that does to prepare you. And this is what I loved. You use so many principles in this. It just blows my mind. Including, including the, the whoops principle, right? I, I mm-hmm. don't know if you've been speaking on your, on your podcast about wish, outcome, obstacle, and then plan. And so many times people think that if I just imagine what it is I want to achieve, I will achieve it. But it turns out you're much more likely to achieve it if you also, once you've imagined it, once you've really made a clear, salient picture in your head of the outcome you want, if you then say, well, what gets in my way? Mm-hmm. And, and particularly what inside of me gets in my way? What's un- that's under con- my control gets in my way? And then you make plans. So that's the P of whoop. You make plans for, okay, when, when I find that I am sort of going around in a big loop around, you know, oh, this is never going to work or whatever, then I'm going to think about this, or I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, or if my mind feels blank, then I'm just going to start writing whatever, you know, do, do the morning pages exercise from, from, right. um, Julia Cameron. Uh, yes, from Julia Cameron. So, so, the artist way. so yeah. having, you know, kind of thinking ahead and knowing that you'll run into obstacles because you will, um, mm. and thinking ahead about the obstacles and making a plan so that you actually have a way to get past them can be very helpful. It's, it's really everything because I have found in my own life and in 90, if not 100% of my coaching work, that we all, like every single woman I come across is brilliant. She has great ideas. Like she's here for purpose. She's here for something. And it's when something takes us off track which could be an external person say, you're writing a book? Like, that's a waste of time. Or your own internal inner gremlin is saying that, you know, as Catherine calls it. And then we stop. And the issue isn't even getting off the track for a moment. It's not coming right back, right? And so it's like, then we make ourselves wrong for getting off track. Oh, I missed a day of writing. Oh, now it's been a week. And, you know, it could be whether it's about moving your body, whether it's about anything and come back. And the exercise that you're talking about here, Catherine, is so brilliant because 
in advance, you're preparing for getting off track, right? So if you know you have a tendency to, your mind wanders over to Facebook. I don't know who I'm talking about. I'm just kidding, maybe myself. But let's say you just have like, that's part of your thing or you your mind goes blank. If you have that plan in advance, because you know your tendencies or you tend to procrastinate or you tend to whatever it is, now you're going to get back on track. And I think that that's the, like the number one key to success. I think it's really, really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. what you might find so with the Facebook thing, my daughter does a lot of co-writing. And she says that part of the reason she does that is because when she's sitting down you know, in a coffee shop with a good friend, and they're both working on their own stuff, they're not working together. They're just both sitting there together. She knows that she'd feel a little ashamed if her friend looked over and she was looking at something, you know, like looking something up on Amazon to buy or going to to Instagram or something like that. And so she doesn't. But they give themselves Mm -hmm. then breaks in which they then can either talk to each other or have a little social media break. So they, they acknowledge that part of themselves that is drawn that way, but they don't let it be in control. Oh, I love that. So total sidetrack, your daughter's a writer too? My, my daughter has a, a, a PhD in nursing. And so mm. she mostly writes papers about her, about her research. Um, mm. Right now, she's a, she's a full-time mom for a while. She's got two small children, very small children. Mm-hmm. One of them is two months mm-hmm. old. So, but, mm. um, but she does... Grandma. She's still working on papers from her postdoc that she wants to get, wow. get published. Wow. How lucky she is to have you as a mom. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I know so. I know so. And everyone listening is like, oh my gosh, because you're so encouraging, Catherine. Well, I really believe everybody has a story to tell. And (sighs) I'm going to put in a little plug right now for people to think it's not too late to think back about how you survived 2020, 2021, (sighs) and the reason this, this occurred to me um, was that when, when the pandemic started, I started thinking about, well, you know, I know <clears throat> that my grandmother and my great-grandmother, et cetera, went through the 1917 flu, but I have no idea what they did or how they handled it or who nursed who or how they, you know, who died. I mean, I just don't know anything about their experiences. And I feel like we would have been in some ways better off if we'd had an idea of, well, how mm. did our survivors, how did the survivors that became, that, that, that led to us, how did they survive? What did mm-hmm. they do? How did they manage that? Mm. Um, so, and, you, you know, I can, I can let, uh, let me segue from there into stories. Um, I believe that, that, you know, and you probably, I'm sure you agree with this, that the best writing doesn't just tell you ideas. It tells you stories that make the ideas come alive. Mm-hmm. And that's so, what we remember. I mean, we, we could give a ton, you and I know a ton of statistics and facts that we could drop about resilience or about gratitude or about doing this exercise or that. But when we tell you, when we share a personal experience or a client's experience in the story, that's what we all remember. That's what sticks. Well, the, 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 one of the things that I've, ha- I've seen people have trouble with is coming up with stories, the stories that they want. So I've had this idea, which I do a little bit myself, but not as much as I would like to, which is to keep some kind of like an Evernote or a, even just a, a little, you know, a note card. Mm. And as you go through your daily life and observe what's going around you, to watch for stories that might, what I call story seeds, so these are ideas that could actually grow into a full-blown story if you wanted to write it up. So to kind of keep track of, well, what's going on around me that impresses me, surprises me, disgusts me, mm. um, you know, awes me, uh, whatever. What, what could I deal with? That, what could I get from all of this that would make it possible for me to explain something to somebody else and just keep track of some of those? That is so good. I'm writing it in my journal right now, literally, <laughs> um, because when I read other people's books, I'm like, how did they remember that from when they were 27? Right. How did they remember that that tiny? I, I know all the big things that have happened in my life, but it's like those smaller stories. And then as a new mom, I'm trying to hold those stories. Right. It's like I want to remember 
yes, the first time that he said a word, but I also want to remember this tiny little story, this tiny, right, that because I want to remember it all. And so it's 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 genius. You know, one of my um, issues, Catherine, in writing a book is I feel like I have too many stories. I have so many big stories. A lot of things have happened in my life. I was in a domestic violence uh, relationship when I was 17. I have survived gun robbery, miscarriages, so many things that sometimes I'm like, well, do they all go in one book? Do I hold them for the second or third book? And I have a hard time sometimes organizing. Well, and that's another principle that I explore in the book, which is the reader who picks up your book doesn't need to know everything you know. Hmm. So they do not need an entire Karen mind drop. Okay? <laughs> they need for you to select and curate, almost think of it as, your, as if you were whatever you want to present of yourself in your book, that it's a little bit like an art gallery. And in your art gallery, you have an attic that's, or a basement or whatever, the storeroom, that's full of paintings, wonderful paintings, right? But if you had all of the paintings out, all of your paintings out at once, the people who visit the art gallery couldn't focus on anything. They'd be so distracted by all of the different things that you have. And so the, the idea is to think of yourself... I mean, part of the process of writing is curating what belongs and what doesn't in this particular show in your art gallery or in this particular book that you're writing. And so being aware of the fact that even having more stories than that doesn't mean you have to tell all your stories. Right. And as a matter of fact, you can be really quite purposeful in the way you arrange your stories. So I don't know exactly what you want to write your book about but my, my, my thought is that it might be a book where you're trying to help people change something. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you want to help people change something. Well, one of my favorite psychologists, uh, a man named Albert Bandura, he passed last year in, late, in his late 90s, but he lived a long, a long and, and uh, constructive life. And one of the things he decided was, at when he was getting kind of old, he decided, you know, psychologists are really crappy at social dissemination of their ideas. They learn things. They've got great ideas. They just don't know how to get them out to the public. Mm. And I think he felt like, uh, maybe writing books, maybe, but maybe that helps and maybe it doesn't. I know that we have seen some of our positive psychology professors write really, really, to us, very interesting books. I don't know whether all the people who should read them have read them. But right. anyway, this, his idea was something he called serial dramas. Hmm. And so what he would do is he would go and collaborate with a local government or a, even a broader, like a regional government in some part of the world where there was some behavior that they wanted to change. And they would create these long-running soap operas. So they were on television in places in the world where people had televisions, or they were on radio in places in the world where people at that point didn't have, didn't have televisions, or most people didn't. And they made the stories interesting like soap operas, but they were very strategic in the way they told them. And in particular, he said, you need stories of what I'm going to call the bad behavior, but the behavior you want to change. And so it might be... In one part, in one place in the world, it was the fact that adults felt that they were too old for adult education, so they weren't using adult education opportunities. It might be some place in the world where they were marrying off their daughters too young, mm. um, and they were wanting the, the local government, the government was wanting them to let their daughters get a little older before they married them off. It might be safe sex behaviors. Okay, so whatever whatever it was, you have people who have the bad behavior. You have people who have the good behavior, but you also have people in transition Mm. because you need to create the sense of it's possible to go from the bad to the good. Mm -hmm. And his and he has said that he felt that that was what that was sort of the ingredients of an effective uh, behavior changing uh, production. Well, I've actually used that with several writers who have been like had collections of stories 
Mm-hmm. And I've I've actually suggested to them that they count how many bad how many bad stories, how many good stories, and how many transition stories, and then try to balance them out a little bit. Mm. So maybe you've got a whole lot of focus on got a whole lot of focus, and you can tell really interesting stories about bad behavior. Well, can you make the good behavior as interesting? Mm. Can your stories about the good behavior be as appealing? and, you know, really absorbing as the ones about the bad behavior. It takes a little bit of work to do that. But, and then, of course, to remember that you can't really make, help people change without stories that show somebody who, change, who is changing. Absolutely. You know, when I go through all of your experiments, it's like they're, they're incredible, Right. And each one. So if you're someone who struggles with dialogue, she's got making dialogue clear. If you're someone who, you know, it's like, well, which pieces do I put in or how do I edit or any of that? She has several experiments that are just about editing. Right. Whether it's words or it's paragraphs or it's grammar or any of it. And when I think about for me, I think the biggest thing is just how fear comes in, how the gremlins come in, no matter which piece it is. And I wonder if you see that the most, too. Or do some people not have the gremlins, and for them, it's really the technical piece? Uh, well, I feel like I've somewhat overcome the gremlins. Mm. And I, but I did it by, you know, public speaking, right? You know how you get good at yeah. public speaking? You, you do speak. a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think you have to look at it and say, okay, I'm quite comfortable getting up in front of the world in my podcasts. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem coming in and having this, you know, really wonderful introduction and everything that I have to say. I've done it enough that I I can do it. So if you said, "Okay, but when I did my very first podcast, was I scared? Mm. Did I have stage fright? Did I feel like, "Oh, I'm going to really gum this up, whatever?" Did I do it anyway? Did I get better and better as I went along? Or what are the answers to these questions, Karen? Yeah, well, I'm thinking. So the first time I sat down, so first of all, I was so afraid for a while that I just didn't do it, right? Josh was like, you should have a podcast. You should. I was like, who's going to listen to that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, why? And then I, I let myself get caught up on, okay, but what is the introduction supposed to be? And what's the right way? And what's, you know, and all of that I know was just fear getting in the way. And I'm remembering where I was the first time I did an episode and had no idea what I was doing. I had almost every word written out. And yeah, I was I was really nervous and I used to hate my voice. But it's so funny now I love my voice. And by the time I started a podcast though, I had already been speaking on stages a bunch. But if I go back to my first talk, my first talk out of grad school after MAP, after our master's program, it was probably the worst talk. I should give those people their money back. Um, so yeah, I had the gremlins, you know, in 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 each of these stages and I'm remembering how I sat down and I did it and okay, we're going to do it again and we're going to do it again. And, you know, I don't know that I could go back and if I listened to those first couple episodes, I might be like, Oh my gosh, what was I saying? <laughs> you know, it sounded ridiculous, but it was, it was just, I'm going to keep going I'm going to keep going and, and I'm going to find the enjoyment in it, you know? And, and for me, I'm someone also who, you know, this is like old stuff, but I work really well on other people's feedback. And so it also helped for me to get some feedback early on. Like, oh my gosh, this is great. Oh my gosh, yes, I want more of this. And I was like, okay. Because as you so well point out in your process, sit, right, share, the sharing is that we do all have a story. We all have wisdom that we've learned from our life. We have messages that we want to, like that are ours to share with the world. And focusing on that purpose, you know, I'm all about purpose, really gets us at least gets me and I think it's a lot of people over their doubt because it's like this is this is bigger than me not liking my voice this is important and someone needs to hear this well I hope that you can extrapolate from your experience both becoming a public speaker and becoming a podcaster and say okay it's just time to do it again yeah Uh, only I'm going to do it with writing this time yeah Um, because it's it it is I don't think there's any other way to learn how to enjoy it. You know what's so funny, Catherine? My my dream life, I'm writing every day. I'm I'm not coaching every day. My dream life, when I think about what I really, really love, is that I'm sitting, I'm looking out over an ocean, 
or I'm sitting in my office and I'm writing. And maybe it's just that I've put so much stock into that dream. You know, it's like the more important a dream is to us, the scarier it can become. Mm, you're, you're getting beyond me now. <laughs> I'm not sure I have an answer to that one. Yeah, well, and it's, it's okay. You know, I, I, the answer is what you're saying. You sit, right, and you share anyway. Yeah. Right? It's like you, you just do it. And so as we look, are there a couple of experiments that people have told you these are just like my favorites or you've seen really work for someone? Or it's like you said, everybody's different, so it just depends. Hmm. Well, I can tell you what my favorites are in each of the sections. Yeah, that tell helpful? me. Okay, well, I, I have one in the sit section that's all about managing procrastination. And this is something that I learned. In, I'd mentioned earlier that, you know, um, that writing was low on the totem pole when I was in college, mm-hmm. but that actually studying for exams was lower. Um, and what I found is that if you look at all, of, I mean, people often talk about motivation in terms of one thing at a time, like I am motivated to do this or I'm not motivated to that, do that. But I think of motivation as being this sort of collection of things that you have to do. So if mm. you sat down and made a list of all the things you could do with your time today, and then you ranked them in terms of which ones do I find am I most comfortable with, which ones do I most want to do, um, and which ones am I most motivated to do. If instead of focusing on the ones that that you're most motivated to do, you look and see, well, where does writing fit in that motivation picture? Um, And if there's something that's even lower than writing, then use the energy from that, from thinking about, oh, I can avoid working on my income taxes by writing my book. (laughs) Then then use whatever it is that you have that. that is a lower, a task that you probably should be doing, you know, like cleaning house or, or going to the dentist. I don't want to go to the, to the dentist. All right. <laughs> Use that energy, the energy of avoiding that test to actually get the writing started and done. Oh, so I, it, I, I first called it procrastination hierarchy. But mm. it, in my mind, it has to do with thinking of motivation, not in terms of one task, but in terms of all of your tasks. And if writing is always on the bottom, one thing you can try is say, well, if I don't get the writing done, who would I have to tell? And it's a good idea to have somebody that you're accountable to outside yourself. As a coach, you know this, that we are more likely to keep promises to other people than we are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you either have a coach or you have a writing group or you have your spouse or somebody that you've told that you're going to do this writing. So then you think of the task of telling this person that you actually didn't do it. And sometimes that's the, the, the thing that you want to avoid that bumps everything up. <laughs> So, so being the that, good girl, yes, yeah, yes. So that that one, I, I guess it's partly my favorite because I feel like it, it's a sort of a personal invention um, that that I that I found works really really well in my own life, and so I'm just sharing it in case it works in yours. I love it. I love it. It's so. I mean, all of these are so good, and I, I really what I love about this book is, okay, what do I really need right now? Where am I getting stuck? Is it on what do I write? Is it on how do I schedule? Is it on how do I, you know, pick up the next day? Is it on the topics or the editing or what are the stories? How do I organize? I mean, there, it's like every question that you could possibly have, Catherine has an experiment for. And that's what I love. And I love that you even called them experiments because it's like, see, do this, see if it works. If it doesn't work, try something else, right? But there are experiments here to get into your inspiration, experiments here to actually sit down and do the damn thing, and then experiments to really hone it and make it more refined and better, and then to get out and do do it. She has an experiment on finding a publisher, on how to publish your own book, how to do your bio, how to do a blog, how to freelance. Like Basically, now what do you do? How do you turn this into whatever purpose you have for it? And so, Catherine, it's incredible. It's really a beautiful, beautiful important piece of work that's needed. Well, I I wanted to mention that I had created a workbook to go with it that's available on my website, sitrightshare.com. And in particular, what this this book is, uh, what the workbook is, is it's 28 questions where you can sort of self-evaluate and wait and say, can I say this about myself? And they're all, they're all expressed in the positive. So they're all, I'm comfortable you know, or I sit down and write regularly, or 
I, um, I'm comfortable telling stories or whatever, but in, they're all positives because I wanted to start people collecting the things that they actually mm. already could do. And then there's, if you're already comfortable with it, you can make a few notes about, well, this is, this is what it feels like, or this is why it's comfortable, or this is what makes this work for me. Mm. If you're not comfortable, then, there's, then it points off to two, three, four, or five experiments in the book that you might be able to try that could help you change the answer from that question from a no to a yes. So good. So someone goes to your website, sitrightshare.com, and, mm-hmm. and can basically take the self-assessment, and then it's like, all right, now which of these experiments do I go do for that? Yes. So it's, good. It, it's the you know the little the little thing where you give me your name and your email address and then I and then I send you the the workbook. Beautiful. So someone who's listening to this, they're like, I have to get this book, and you all do. If anyone, first of all, we all have a story to tell. I love how you said that, Catherine. If even if it's just for yourself, or it's so that your family has a record of your life and what was important. And most people I know have a story to tell, have a big project that you want to work on. That's your passion. So everyone needs this book. So where do we find it? It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, a whole bunch of ebook platforms. If you go to sitrightshare.com, there's a how to buy the book on the side there. Um, And the reason I mention this is that some people love Amazon and some people don't. And I actually chose to publish it not just on Amazon, but also in Ingram Spark, so that it could be ordered by libraries, ordered by bookstores, and ordered by people who don't like Amazon. So it's available from a number of different places, but the best place to, to start would be to go to writeshare.com. Beautiful. And I have a blog there where I've been adding on as I, as I come up with more ideas. I've mm. got at least one new experiment that I've, that I've written in the blog. Mm, I love that. And probably the more of these conversations you have, the more that comes up like, oh, there's one, there's one, this is a thing. Yep. And so everyone's going to want to stay up to date with Catherine. You can tell why I had her on today, how incredibly genius and just well-versed and with all the data to back it up. I mean, these are practical experiments that you can use to move your goal forward. And it's so good. All right. So Catherine, something I like to do with all my guests is something called the Purpose Power Play Round. This is when I ask you random questions and whatever comes up is a perfect answer. Are you down? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. When you went to grad school, what was the thing you wanted to do with it? Do you mean went to grad school at Penn? Yeah, our program. Okay, because it was actually my third master's degree, so I've been in grad school before. Um, <laughs> Of course. Well, I feel like I'm taking a leaf out of your book, but I wanted to find my purpose. Yeah, perfect. Um, yes. And what what specifically was going on is I had been a, I had been working as a software engineer for probably about 25 years at that point, and I had been thinking, you know, I don't think I want it written on my tombstone that I helped make money for IBM. So I felt like even though the work was fun and engaging and and really quite interesting, I'd gotten to the point where some of it had gotten kind of old and where I also didn't feel like I was was building my legacy. And so Mm. I think part of it was wanting to explore, and I had no idea that it would turn out to be such a gateway to greater purpose um, and open up a lot of different doors. But I just felt like I needed to do something different. And I happened to see, you know, I was in the very first map class. Mm-hmm. So I happened to see a little announcement um, on, uh, or it actually came to me in my email, because when I, when I first took the VIA, which I took, um, I was emerging from a major depression, in, mm-hmm. in, and I picked up authentic happiness thinking I needed some help getting happier mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And I took the, the VIA test from there. Which is the Values in Action Survey it's of Character Strengths. Strengths test. Thank mm-hmm. you, Karen, for, mm-hmm. no problem. for, for turning, the, tr- turning the, the, uh, the jargon into something that people can understand, um, which is a great writing tool, too. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I clicked off the, yes, I want more information, which I never 
ever, ever do. <laughs> and I happened to get the email then from them saying, we're looking for people for this class, and we're looking for people who are established in their careers. Mm. And so I thought, well, why not? So I applied and figuring if I got in, I got in. If I didn't, I didn't. And I did. Mm. So I got to mm. help. I got to help, you know, break in the professors of that program. And we appreciate you. Those of us who came after, we appreciate <laughs> you. It was so courageous to be in the first class of a, cl- of a program like that. So courageous. Because it's like, you don't even know what you're getting into. No, did not. Right. It's incredible. Okay, so when you were a little girl, what did you love to do? I love to read. Oh, well, not so, okay. <laughs> not surprising. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I had friends. I played, you know, I played kick the can and run around, et cetera. But, you know, if, but my mother was the go outside and play, put that yeah. book down, go outside and play. And mm. I needed somebody to urge me to do that. Mm, to have a little bit of both, but that's beautiful. Now, you've written several books and been part of several books. And you've mentioned Annie Lamott here. Is, um, in fact, you mentioned several authors and several books. Do you have a favorite favorite that everybody, in addition to yours, should go get? Well, I do love Bird by Bird. Mm. And I particularly love, there's a little passage at the end where she talks about how we should all, we can all be our own little lighthouses up on the hill, shining a light out. Mm. And she says, and you know, lighthouses don't go running around the island looking for people to save. They just stand there on the top of the hill and shine. And because they shine, other people don't run into the rocks. And so I return to that fairly frequently when I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about writing. And I'm thinking <laughs> about, you know, am I reaching the, reaching the people that I want to? Um, and, you know, it's, it, I, I remember that a certain amount of it is standing on top of the, of, of the, of the hill and shining. Yeah. Yeah. That's a quote I needed to hear today. So thank you. Sometimes in this world of wanting to reach more women and ha- ensure more women know about my podcast and know about, you know, the, the programs and that I do, it feels sometimes like I've got to run around and tell everyone, right? And that can be so exhausting and so hard, honestly, yes. you know, like a social media game and all of that. And it's just such a good reminder to shine your light. Okay, last question for you, Catherine. You ready? Okay. What is one thing you want every woman to know? Mm-hmm. That, that, that you are a full member of humanity. Mm. That, that you have your life to lead. It is your life to lead. And there is no reason that, that you should let anybody make you feel second class. Which is to say, what makes men think, what made men think so long that they were the primary, class, the primary group of people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got episodes and episodes on that, darling. <laughs> and many more to come now that, I'm in, now that I've launched the Institute of Women. There's a lot more coming on that. Honestly, it goes back to Adam and Eve. But that's, you know, think about it. That any of us who've been through any sort of Sunday school education were told that man was first, woman was made of his rib, and that she is responsible for the fall of humanity. And it can really mess us up. And then it's generational trauma. But I know you weren't really asking the question. What I love is that you're telling every single woman, like I really, I don't even know if you can still see me, Catherine, because I can, I can see I my guest, but her, her camera went off and I had a moment and just listening to you and I was like, taking in every word that we are absolutely full members of humanity. And I'm just taking that all the way into my heart and my soul and a woman sister. Catherine, you're incredible. I'm so blessed that I know you. We are all blessed that we got to listen to you today, that we get your wisdom in this world and that you are creating more stories. You are ensuring that more of us become the storytellers, more of us share our wisdom, and therefore more wisdom is shared to make the world a better place. And so I thank you so much for that. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a tremendous pleasure. Ah, such a pleasure. I love it. To all of you out there, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode 
I am so grateful you're here. If you loved it as much as we love doing it, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave your five-star review. That is how women all over the world find our podcast and ensure that they are changing the world one woman at a time. Of course, head on over to Facebook and join the Purpose Girls Facebook group. We haven't changed the name yet, but we're working on it uh, because we are 5,000 women strong, women who share our purpose, share our fears, share what we're thinking about, share our desires, share what we want, and create a sisterhood that is changing the world. Of course, check out PurposeGirl.com. I am going to be rolling out all of the new offerings from Institute of Women. Find Catherine online. Catherine, where can everybody find you online? SitRightShare.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I have a sit, write, share where I, I publish three times a week, you know, ideas about writing. So if anybody wanted to follow me there, that would be terrific. And that's probably the best place. I'm also on LinkedIn as Catherine, it's either Catherine Britton or Catherine H. Britton. I can't remember. Well, we will include links to all of that in the show notes. And with that, my loves, go write your book. Me too. We'll do it together. May you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.